jazz. I'll never claim to be an expert. I'm not a student of the genre. I don't play anything well enough to contribute to the various styles and themes of it all. No, my friends, when it comes to jazz, for me, it's like art and wine. I don't always know what I'm looking at or what I'm drinking, but I do know what I like. And in the world of appreciation, isn't that enough? I mean, it's all about the senses, right? Amaze my palate, educate my eyes, and secure a memory, and play that song again that's still lingering in my ears. I don't know much about the composition or what it took emotionally to get there, but I dig it, man. I dig it. Welcome to Whiskey Business, a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. I am your host, Dino Tripodis, and our guest bottle tonight is a high rye bourbon from Illinois called F.E.W. Few, actually named for Francis Elizabeth Willard, ironically co-founder of the Women's Christian Temperance Unit, a key player in establishing national prohibition. So, haha, a joke on you, Francis. We'll talk more about uh, the whiskey a little bit later, but let's let's introduce, I'm so excited, I'm so excited to have ah, musician extraordinaire. I'm telling you, I've, I've known this guy for a, a lot of years now, and I don't know of anyone that's better at doing what he does than Dave Powers. Welcome a whiskey business it's it's a coup it's a catch <laughs> it's, it's a, great to be here it's That's nice it to is. be here yes sir uh, um are you i i don't even know if you're a, a bourbon drinker uh per uh, se I'll, I'll, I'll i'll drink anything you really yeah yeah i wonder if that was the uh yeah and this and this is uh, very tasty uh, i wondered if obviously the name few was uh just a deliberate slam at you know let's name it after somebody that possibly that was that, for prohibition that, that was against us possibly probably possibly. yeah yeah we'll talk more about this this is hansberry this is a as far as the whiskeys go this one's going to be a little different i think than you than anything you've had thus far did you oh, take yeah. a sip already I took a sip. the yeah. first sip was really sweet and then it finished peppery like peppery, you guys peppery. Yeah. i think it was peppery yeah peppery it's almost in some ways it's almost gin like in, in, yeah. in a little bit yeah we'll, we'll, i mean we'll, i'm not a heavy you know spirits drinker i have maybe a taste you know enough to know i can d distinguish different types of bourbons or different types of liquor from one okay to so you you're not a you're not a heavy <clears throat> drinker i mean when i think of when i think of <clears throat> jazz musicians let's go with the cliche let's go with the let's let's go with the you know, I think I finished that when I was in my twenties. <laughs> Did you really though? But were you into that? I mean, were you one no, of those guys? You know, were, were you cigarette smoking, hard drinking? Uh, maybe no, I wasn't quite the cigarette smoking. I liked a nice cigar every now and then. But since the more I sang more, uh -huh. I figured, uh, well, maybe that's not the right thing to do. At least for me, it wasn't right. the right thing to do. And since I worked in restaurants and was around it enough, I think I developed enough an immunity to it that it wasn't. A primary interest for me my interest has always been music or you know but I do enjoy on a connoisseur level some fine 
bourbon, some fine whiskey mm-hmm. on a on a connoisseur level. On I a connoisseur say, level. So, so I can say peppery. You know, it has interesting notes. <laughs> it's oaky. It's nutty. It's got some really good legs you, to you, it. You like the nose? It barks at you. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh man. And then you know, it's like. like <laughs> No, so yeah. it's not like rot gut or anything. No, like no, that, it's but, not uh, rot gut. And I'm not uh, going to slam my parents, but see, they bought Fleischmann, so it it totally ruined my palate. If my parents are listening, which they're going to, because I told them to tune in, I said, Fleischmann's is a good is a good uh, uh, you know, mix it up, mix it up with the uh, Seven Up cocktail. <laughs> it's a good that's good highball whiskey right there, my friends. Yes, it is. We're well, having the neighbors over, you, honey. You, yeah, yeah. You, get you, the big bottle of Fleischmann's. You did right, mom and dad, with the Fleischmann's. Okay, <laughs> so you know what? What the heck did I know? Did you, were your parents entertainers? I mean, were they? No. Were they? Were they? Did they have people like over me. a lot? Yes, they had people over for yes, yeah, for bridge. cocktails and, and cocktails, and bridge. Uh huh. Sure. You know, back in the day, and Cro- croquet in the croquet in, in really? suburbia. Yeah. Where are you from originally? I am from the Far East side of Columbus. Oh, so I, you are Columbus, born and raised. Absolutely. I grew up in Whitehall. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, East Side, we bad, we bad. My parents still live out there. But I was, I've been transplanted to Clintonville for the last 20 odd years. And musically speaking, I know you to be very proficient, and uh, your 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 muse is the is the keyboards. Has it always been the keyboards? Is that where you started? It's always been the piano and the keyboards. Yeah, uh, not quite singing until more when I was playing more frequently, four or five nights a week. I was singing more and more and more. And when did it start? I mean, when do you when did you start playing? Uh, piano and keyboards. <clears throat> what age? Well, I started between the age of four and five. Lessons. I had lessons for about mm, seven years or so. Uh-huh. Was it something that you wanted to do or something that your parents said, well, Davey, you're going to take piano lessons? <laughs> well, my first love has always been the record player. I've had the same uh, goals and visions since I was, you know, two, is to, you know, make enough money so I can stay at home and play my records. That's all I like. You know, that, that takes me to my happy place. But I've been a record collector forever. So the record player and listening was a very key thing. So when I was learning the piano and taking up the piano, and I was taking piano lessons where I knew what, you know, what notes were where, what keys were what, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I would listen to a record and uh, pick it out on the piano. And I think that's when the magic started. Well, I was really into it. I was really like listening to music and I could pick it up on the piano. That's called ear training. And by listening to all those different types of music, I just, you know, What's neat about records, first of all, if you have a record in your hand, you don't know anything about it, you know you're going to play it because you're really curious on what's on it. You either might like it or you might not like it. And that was how I discovered all different forms of music. You know, riding my bike to garage sales and buying records and, "Mm, this looks cool, this label looks cool, and I'm playing, I'm like, oh, I kind of like this, I kind of like that, you know, that's the self-taught aspect. So in music, I'm highly self-taught too. Listen to just whatever, like a sponge, get whatever you yeah, can. Yeah, I mean, I, I, in the years that I've known you, someone, someone mentions the song and you just start to immediately pick it out. Um, one of one of my albums at home that I like to chill out to is is a is a piano player, Errol Garner, mm-hmm. and he was self taught. I mean, he never read he never read a single note of music, mm-hmm. and and he, you know, Misty, mm-hmm. which was in the Clint Eastwood movie, play Misty for me. Um, uh, I have that particular album and, and a couple of other ones too. But he, he was amazing, and he oh yeah, he never read a note. He just he played, and he also established 
it the the method escapes me. I don't know. Maybe you could educate me if, if not. But he had a certain method of playing as well. In his right hand, yeah, he played these big. I call them. They're called block chords. Yes, where he's playing the melody in octaves and he's playing chords at the same time. So while the left hand would go chunk chunk chunk, he played these big block chords. Blah 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. So he was one of those guys that did it. George Shearing had another way of doing it, but he l used both hands and kind of locked it and played the same melody with both hands. But yeah, Errol Garner had this clunky thing with his left hand while he played these block chords. And it was, it was amazing, really... though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. It was really great. In fact, uh, that Errol Garner plays Misty album is really nice, and it has a nice version of Love and Bloom on it that I always like, solo piano. Uh, and not to divert from the subject a little bit, but they've just reissued the complete concert by the sea. Really? Which sounds the best it's ever sounded. So, I mean, the complete, not the edited version that was released mm -hmm. on a single LP, but this is, you know, three CDs worth of music. And it's uh, you, when you say it sounds the best it's ever sounded, so do you... I mean, has that been released on vinyl again, or is that on... Uh, it's on it, vinyl and it's also on CD. And which do you, which, I, I know which one you prefer. Uh, you know what? For convenience's sake, I have it on CD. You have it but, on uh, CD. Yeah, vinyl is, is always a preference, depending on whether they've mastered it right. There's only a few people in the vinyl business these days, as vinyl's made a huge comeback, that I'll ever really trust to say, oh, you know, and I know the guys. Kevin, if you get anything mastered by Kevin Gray, buy it. If it's mastered by Steve Hoffman, buy it. If Kevin Gray and Steve Hoffman worked on it together, buy it. Enough said. That's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and, Ber Bernie Grundman, he's all right, man. He's been around. He's an industry standard guy. But Kevin Gray knows how to cut lacquer. So you, you, uh, you vinyl aficionados, there you go. An education. In just a couple of minutes, Hansberry, you should you making notes? Uh, you, sh notes. you should, uh, and you you should see how like you go to my house in my basement. There's a lot of vinyl, but it's 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 poker room vinyl. It's records that have been scratched and just and just abused over the years. Drunken guy, wind and fire. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and you well, got to play it on the Magnavox uh, uh, console. Uh, actually, it's the Fisher. Oh, Big the old Fisher, Fisher console. stereo. There you go. There's other stuff besides Earth, Wind, and Fire. There's a lot there to is, choose from. Is. Don't pigeonhole me. Uh, Self promotion. We've done a podcast on Dino's record collection. You can go back and listen to. Yeah, that. that's oh, the, wonderful. Uh, that's the two parter with uh, Arch Madness from Vinyl Analysis. If you want to go back in the archives, but those records, like I said, that's drunken friends going up there, going, oh, <laughs> scratching like okay, but but Hansberry, his, I mean, I was over there. Uh, this was um, just before our Christmas show last year, which Dave Powers right. plays on, right. and we were going over something, and he played some stuff. It's he, he so lovingly pulls his his albums out, and there's there's a whole. I, I don't know. I want to say a three. Did I or... play you the half speed mastered Sinatra songs yes, for Swing but it was, Lovers? But it was like a three or four step process. Just great care before, before I before the album before the music ever came out. Yeah, I there clean, were, I there were things it. that you did that I yes. I said to myself, "What is he doing?" I mean, it, you there was like a you 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 put him in you put the album into something first. Yes, a what, record cleaner. The record cleaner. Uh huh. Yes, before after it came out of the sleeve, you put it in the record cleaner. Oh yeah, and then then I put it on the turntable. But then I had to wipe the stylus off. Yes, so, uh, 
And then I had to use the big, it's called the big brush. And you put the big brush on the record just to brush it and get the rest of the uh, static and whatever off. And then you play the sucker. Man, it sings. And it does. Uh, if, it's better than a CD. If if he treats the people in his life as well as he treats his records, then those are some very special, special people. I hope that I do. <laughs> so music came to you naturally. You had the lessons. Yeah. When was your first, when was your first, do you remember your first, let's call it recital or gig where you sure. actually played in front of people? How oh, old yeah. were you? I was five years old. Five. I played a song called Jumping Rope. And uh, I know how to play it to this day. In fact, my uh, first piano teacher passed away a few years ago. She was, uh, I think, still fairly young in years. And, uh, and But when she passed away, I shot a little video of myself playing Jumping Rope in her honor. And I think I posted it on Facebook a while back. But uh, I should put it on YouTube. I mean, just in a little tribute to her. Her nice. name was Nell Fisher. She uh, taught piano lessons on the east side. She was a really sweet lady, really sweet lady. And um, yeah, she was awesome. And then my second piano teacher, he just passed away a couple years ago, but he was a legendary figure in the Columbus music scene, uh, the blind pianist Bob Allen. He was my second piano teacher. And I used to hear him play over at Hyde Park. At Hyde Park, yes. Yeah. And before Hyde Park. Before you moved into town, he used to play a place downtown called the Christopher Inn. I on remember East the Christopher Broad Inn. Street. There you go. Yeah. yeah, it was a wonderful place. And I used to go, uh, my parents, We'd it would be a special occasion, you know, during the holiday season, my grandparents would come in town. We'd go down to the Christopher Inn to hear Bob. And so between the grades, between grades five to grade seven, I went to Bob's and I didn't learn jazz. He just taught me classical. So my first Beethoven piece Bob taught me. My, my, my first Bach piece, Bob taught me. He didn't teach me any jazz. And he lived out on the east side back then. He lived in, in Whitehall. He lived uh, right on top of the Whitehall Auto Parts building on East Main Street, right next to Main Lanes. So when did jazz come into your life? Jazz came into my life early on. I mean, as soon as I was listening to jazz, my my parents' record collection is a very was a very small record collection. I've got I've got their records now because they're not really playing records much anymore. But back in the 50s, uh, when people started buying hi-fis, when high-fidelity sound was the thing, people would have different types of records to play on your hi-fi. I mean, they had world music before it was called world music. You know, let's say there's one record of flamenco guitar music. Mm -hmm. There's one record of Trinidad steel band music. There's maybe four Dixieland LPs. Maybe there's a jazz uh, compilation that Columbia put out in 1957 called Jazz Omnibus. And that had that one record was an awesome record because that had Miles Davis, Errol Garner, Duke Ellington, Dave Brubeck, J.J. Johnson and Kay Winding, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, and Louis Armstrong. All on one. All on one album. All on one album. Yeah, and they were tracks from you know 1955 to 57 that Columbia put out, and that was a great record for me. That was one of my favorite records. So they didn't have an extensive jazz collection. They had some classical music. Uh, there were record labels too from the 50s, like Audio Fidelity Records. I've even created a fake a Facebook page in tribute to Audio Fidelity Records. If you go check that out on Facebook. But it's just showing all these weird esoteric album covers and 
Audio Fidelity put out the very first stereophonic LP in 1950, uh, 19, November 57, the first commercially available stereo LP. And it was a boutique label at that. It was just strange. They had it. The Dukes of Dixieland were on there, and you had maybe a record of player piano rolls, which we had. Not a player piano, but that record. Mm -hmm. Linda's Player Piano on Audio Fidelity Records. And I played the, the heck out of that thing. So, and it, the Trinidad Steel Band was on Audio Fidelity, and then uh, folk music. It was a weird label, but I was fascinated with that. So it's things like that that I gravitated toward. And it was outside the norm. My mom was the normal one. She liked Nat King Cole. So they had one Nat King Cole LP, one Johnny Mathis LP. Uh huh. And I think that was about it. Everything else was just a little bit of everything. So when I was listening to music growing up, sure, there was pop radio. I was listening to, I was well aware of what was going on in pop radio and what uh, all my friends were listening to, but I wanted to hear more. I needed to hear more. So I just discovered a lot of this stuff kind of by accident. Okay, let me let me let me backtrack a, just just a little bit because there's a couple different areas of music that I want to get into with you. But you you mentioned that your mom had a Nat King Cole album and a Johnny Mathis album. Yeah, she had "Love Is the Thing" by Nat King Cole. The Johnny Mathis one was heavenly. It had that painting of Johnny Mathis that was done for him. Oh, that was hanging in his Los Angeles home before a fire destroyed it. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. But then you started singing. How do I know this stuff? It's kind of crazy. Okay, you just do. Then you decided you wanted to sing. So when it comes to singers, mm -hmm. who do you who do you like from that era that, you know, that would be considered, you know, a, a classic crooner or even a, or 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 jazz for that matter. People that that stylistically, you know, well, appeal to you. Uh, I first listened to Nat King Cole, and I really liked his style. I listened to Sinatra, and I liked his style, too. And there was a uh, preface, the, well, let's go back before the Nat King Cole, when the Nat King Cole trio was making music in the 40s. Uh -huh. uh, Nat's guitar player was Oscar Moore. Well, Oscar Moore's brother, Johnny Moore, also played guitar and had a trio, just like the Nat King Cole trio. It was Johnny Moore's Three Blazers. But their big star was blues pianist, vocalist Charles Brown. Okay. Same thing. Piano, bass, and guitar. No drums. And I like that, too. I mean, that Charles Brown, you know, was really awesome. Uh, and in that era, I liked Ella Fitzgerald a lot. And I liked Dinah Washington. I love Dinah Washington. Yeah. I mean, the bluesy Dinah Washington. Not, you know, I like the syrupy Dinah Washington in later years. But the stuff that she did, you know, from the late 40s to early 50s, total badass nobody could touch her and i also love nat king cole i yeah. mean that's just yeah. like it's like velvet Absolutely. it's like velvet it's velvet let me sings. tell you it's not like butter but velvet yeah i mean I, I i i grew up with the the singers i listened to what uh my mother listened to right and uh i was introduced to sinatra dean martin of course who was from go. steubenville dean martin, ohio dino crocetti right? yeah right mm -hmm. you know so um, now on the same token i gotta get weird on you man i liked mark farner okay i'm totally switching gears on you but i i really liked that kind of singing too i don't know that artist mark farner i don't know mark farner have you ever heard of grand funk railroad oh yeah lead singer for okay. grand funk railroad all right I actually got to play a gig with him a really? few years back. Yeah, at River in um, Chattanooga, Riverbend Festival. 
Well, and, shame and, on me. And, and he never sings, we're an American band, by the way. Why not? The keyboard player sings it. Because the drummer used to sing it, Don Brewer. But Don Brewer now is playing with Bob Seger. You know, he's the, he's the the he wrote the song. See, shame all on right, me. Sorry. I, did, I did not I know just, the lead singer, Grand I just, Funk I just Railroad. went rock and roll no, on that's you for right, a brief man, You could go all over the place. But that was the same, you know, I was listening to, and Stevie Wonder. I got to say, I was listening to Stevie Wonder. But no, actually, I got off on the tangent because you said, that era, like 50s no, Well, no, no, I'm saying what singers, you, uh, when I say singers, what singers do appeal to you? What singers sing yeah. to you? Which, sing. What, who singers, do you, singers who do you, that yeah. sing. Aretha Franklin. Yeah. You know, they sang. Um, and Etta James, too. Sure. When Etta James was doing her thing, really loved Etta James. I'm with you on that. And Jackie Wilson. Oh. Those guys could just belt out a song like, like nobody's business. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Farner still sings like that. He's in his 60s. It's amazing. Um, but singers that sing, yeah, no, no, no wimpy singers. No. You know, singers that really know how to belt it out. And so when not, I say sing to you, actually, you know, it affects you. Absolutely, absolutely. And I have to also, speaking of singers, uh, there is um, a couple other groups that really have defined the voice in the jazz idiom and also in the whatever pop idiom that really does it for me. And I have to say, the Singers Unlimited from the uh, early 70s was an amazing group. But see, the Singers Unlimited, the main guy was Gene Purling. And he was in a group called the Hilos in the 1950s. You played a bunch of that for Did me I, last time I was at your yeah, house. That stuff melts me. I can listen to the Singers Unlimited do, it you know, was, the shadow of your smile. It was awesome. With Oscar Peterson on piano. Yeah, and I just like chills. I overstayed my welcome that day, I yeah, think, just but, because we were listening. to. Cause I, you listen I couldn't to get enough of it. that, you know, chills go down your spine, you know there's something special about it. And it still does that for me. Just their, their concept of harmony, their concept of the arrangement. And, uh, you know, they're thinking way outside the box because there's only four singers. But with all the overdubbing, it's unlimited. You know, mm -hmm. that's that was their their thing. But it started out in the 50s with the high lows and the high lows were very influential. And then in Chicago in the early 60s is where they were doing a lot of commercials. So all the voice talent. Um, there were the Jays with Jamie and then there were all the high lows and those people in Chicago. Now that's all done in Dallas. You know, like the uh, the jingle for you guys is done by, I think, TM Century in Dallas. They're doing all of the, you know. But Chicago was the place in the 60s. And then they'd go over to Europe and record these Singers Unlimited records. And the singer for the, the lead, there's three guys and a gal. And the gal singer for the Singers Unlimited, her name was Bonnie Herman. And her big claim to fame is, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Oh, she gets paid. She gets paid. <laughs> she gets and paid. And with a voice like that, that voice is is just silk. It's just silk. She's still getting paid. You know, I look back on some of the great jazz artists that, and we, like I said in my little uh, monologue at the beginning, I don't claim to be an expert about jazz, but I know what I like. Yeah. And I know that, you know, I can, I have Miles Davis records uh, and CDs. I have I have John Coltrane. I got Charlie Parker. There I can put those on. Now I don't know about all the pain and uh, um, emotions that went into creating those pieces, but I know that those guys were were tortured artists in their lives. 
And every time, you know, they all had drug problems <clears throat> yeah. and drinking problems. Yeah. When Charlie Parker died at the very young age of, I think, 34. He was a young man. The the coroner thought he was like 50 or 60 just because right. uh, of of his his cirrhosis of the liver and right. some other things but but he thought he thought it was a much older man on the table and uh and, and Coltrane same thing you know these guys that just got into the to the to the drugs and then got off the drugs and and you know Miles Davis god bless him he lived for he lived probably the longest out of any yeah, he of was them. only 61 when he died yeah, sure but you know who's still alive though Sonny Rollins yes he is and Sonny Rollins had his bouts with you know the drugs and all that in the fifties, and then he got straight. So did you in ever the early sixties? Did you ever just? I, I asked you earlier, and you said, yeah. you know, you kind of did, did. You ever think and look at those artists when you were growing up and say, like, in order to, I've got to experience. <laughs> I know, you know, you wonder about your your influences and, and yeah. the people, and, and like, did you ever even come close to any of something like that? No, because you know. And I could understand what they were doing as I was studying, you know, their music and listening to their music. And jazz basically is for everybody to interpret how they feel when they listen to it. Mm -hmm. So, all the, you know, what jazz is to you is awesome because it's the way it makes you feel. You put on a Coltrane album or a Miles Davis album and you feel a certain way like, wow, this sounds really great. I mean, if it if it motivates you to kill yourself, don't listen to it by all <laughs> means. Please don't listen to it. But music, I... Personally, my I have a personal philosophy. First of all, my philosophy is that of Duke Ellington. He was a diplomat. Duke said there are two types of music, good and the other kind. Ah, so that's kind of a well-rounded, everyman kind of response. It's like it's like what the universal Unitarian, no, what the Unitarian Universalist asked the hot dog vendor: "Make me one with everything." <laughs> all right. So there's my philosophy. But anyway, when I was listening to music, okay, growing up, I wasn't much of an athlete. It just, I was bored. Music was my avenue. Music was my happy place. So I went to music as a escape and a happy place. For me, I was an introvert when I was younger. You know, I didn't become more of an extrovert until I hung out with some really cool friends who weren't partiers, um, church-going guys, you know, that had a feeling that it didn't matter what people thought of you you just were who you were and you just put smiles on people's faces so just luck of the draw i mean could you have just as easily fallen into a a, a group of guys that were partiers and you think you, you just think you just think it just happened to be that fork in the road and you just happened well, to go right when i want to say it was i could say it was a fork in the road i could say that uh yes you could you have know, just as easily have, fallen into a strong, I'm a very strong spiritual person. And uh, I could say that was a turning point in me, you know, in high school, right before my sophomore year and junior year, you know, I, I met up with some kids who were uh, part of a church group, a youth uh -huh. group. So I was involved with it, with a church and a youth group. And I'd say that was really cool because they weren't part of a clique and I didn't like the cliques growing up. So the cliques weren't, weren't my thing, but I, could I have gone any way possible probably because i started working in bars and restaurants when i was you know 16 17 years old but i was looking at my part as putting smiles on the faces of the people twice my age and looking out after them and if they had too much to drink i would drive them home so you actually destroy the cliche you don't have to be this tortured no. miserable suffering no. son of a bitch and most jazz musicians now are 
you know, all organic and uh, <laughs> gluten-free and non-GMO and uh, taking care of themselves. And, you know, who really was a proponent of really taking care of yourself was Louis Armstrong, even though he smoked dope every day. Yeah. Yeah, he'd, he'd finish smoking a joint every day, but he believed in cleaning your system out every day. So he was, he was really in favor of this laxative called Swiss Chris. And I think you could still buy it, like in a health food store, a nutrition center, or whatever. But there was one scene where... Swiss Chris. Swiss Chris, yeah. In fact, on one of his records, he says, Speaking of New Orleans and them red beans, you eat the bigger plate than your Swiss Chris in the morning. <laughs> so he believed in cleaning his system out every night. So he would take... it Was, a, was it a laxative? Yeah, it was a laxative. It was just a laxative, and, and it, his whole thing was, Leave it all behind you. <laughs> so... Literally. So he's literally, and so he's invited to dinner with the Queen of England, and so they have the big table and the Queen and all her subjects, and he puts a piece of Swiss Chris at every spot on the table, because that was his sort of like, I'm sharing this wisdom and knowledge with you, you should clean your system out every day, and that was what he did, uh, that's a, aside from mellowing out with a joint every night. Yeah. I'll have to look into the Swiss Chris. I yeah, could, you. I found it one day. I saw it. Did you use did, it? Did you try it? No, I, I don't do Did laxatives. you shit like Louis Armstrong? I don't do laxatives, <laughs> man. Yeah. You don't have to be tortured and suffering to make music, and uh, we're going to prove that point right now. What am I look? What am I got here? I got Dave Powers. Listen this is, to this. This came out a while back. A yeah. while back. Yeah, I look at the oh, look, I'm looking at the picture of you in the back. Yeah, about thirty pounds lighter. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, actually, you, you look so not like a musician in this picture. You look like uh, a banker. A banker could be selling insurance. Yeah, insurance. Insurance. Buy insurance. Yes. From me. I just happen to. That's uh, that's a car salesman right there because the hair is kind of slicked back. Yeah, and he says. Which one of these lovely babies you want to take home today? <laughs> you could you could do that. You look like it could be you could be running for office. I that, mean that could be an office picture. This is not this is not a jazz yeah. musician picture. Vote for Dave Powers, Ward Two Council. Thank oh, you. but the no, the kidding. the track we're gonna play is this is called Project Up. And and and, and what is the what's the what is inspiration it? behind this? The inspiration is uh, I just wanted to write a, a fast hard bop style number and hard pop i mean talking about music that came out in the mid to late 50s called yeah. hard bop after the bebop period and after the cool jazz period you have the hard bop movement which was art blakey and the jazz messengers pianist horace silver and that whole sort of thing this is it let's give a little listen uh to project object
a little bit of Project Object, Dave Powers. Um, I'm looking at some of your special guests. Uh, I see you got your buddy Louie on there. Louie Chamoose on the yeah. drums. That's right. Nice Greek boy. <laughs> Yasu. Yasu. He still plays with you on a regular basis, doesn't All he? All the time. Yeah. We just worked uh, just a couple days ago. Yeah. We do a lot of stuff together. We uh, do a lot of business together, which is good. We've been playing together for about 30 years. And I, we both have a good attitude about what it takes to, you know, play music for people in all styles of music. You know, if you're going to make it as a full-time musician, you, you know, you don't just play jazz, you play pop stuff and rock stuff. And we do weddings and corporate events and we travel a lot and we have different, you know, people that play with us, really good musicians, but that's about it. You know, the, some of the best overall musicians have a jazz background, but they can play just about any style of music if they study the style of music. You know, you want right. to be a convincing rock person as you want to be a convincing jazz person. So you have to wear many different hats and be a, a total chameleon and try to fool the fool, try to fool the guessers. So 365 days a year, how many, how many days are you gigging? How many guys, how many are you playing? Uh, at your peak, maybe. at my peak, because now I know you, I know you probably you're... 300 and. <laughs> 50 that's pretty i mean year, that's maybe. that's a I lot don't know. I, I know it's over 300 but it's not 365 obviously still uh, it's a lot yeah it is well i do a lot of solo stuff during the week too so a lot mm -hmm. of solo singing and playing and those are real nice steady gigs i call them bread and butter gigs and at what age did you <clears throat> did you not have to work in a restaurant or a bar anymore and you were just a self-sufficient musician well, i still work in restaurants and bars well i know but you're playing music well no i was always playing music in restaurants oh, and, okay and bars. yeah first well you know one of my first gigs i was playing a uh, organ at a roller skating rink and, and it was a roller skating rink in Whitehall called Laces. And it was adult skate night. So you had to be 18 to skate. But the entertainment was between 16 and 17 years old. Playing uh -huh. a, an, a, an organ, a two-manual organ, playing roller skating music. And how did I know about roller skating music? Well, maybe there was those couple albums on the Weird Audio Fidelity label of <laughs> Leon Barry at the giant Wurlitzer pipe organ. And he's playing at the Hub Skating Rink in Chicago. So I'm like... Well, let's play stuff like that, and that's so. That's what it was. So you're like a you're you're, you're basically a chameleon. Yeah. 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 You are. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it. You you sit down and you just you just play. That's and, it. And you adapt to whoever's playing with you. Let me take a, a small little break here to do a couple things. One, refill our glasses with the uh, with the few the few. Mm -hmm. So so you're in. Not you've gotten a little more acquainted with it because you actually yeah. put your glass over here. So I'm gonna give you another little taste. There you go. It's spicy. It's very um, I want to say almost herbal, in there's a sense. Herbs. There's herbs in it. <laughs> it's uh, there's mm -hmm. it's it's um, it's 93 proof. It's the mash bill is 70% corn, 20% rye. So it's a high rye, and 10% of it's and the it's old... made in Illinois and not Kentucky. No, yeah, made in Illinois and actually aged in. Minnesota oak barrels. Minnesota. Yeah. Wow. And it's it's young too. It's yeah. only aged for three years. Uh-huh. So um I gotta be honest, I'm enjoying it more now than I did when I first tried it, but I think the problem was when I first tried it, um it was uh we have a little thing called Bourbon Palooza uh on Thanksgiving where my brother in law and I and some others, it's it's like uh here, Hansbury, I can't reach. Go ahead and pour your own. 
There you go. Where we uh, we just try to outdo each other. So it's like all these amazing bourbons. My cousin from New York who has three restaurants, he brings some in. I bring some in, and we try to out-bourbon each other. So we I had see. all these bourbons. But you do, I mean, do you take a break between one bourbon and another to distinct uh, the yeah, taste? Yeah, we do, but still, this was so <clears throat> different at that particular time sure. that I actually, I said, what's it called? It's good, right. F-E-W, Few. And I went, I went, more like Pew. Yeah. I didn't care for it, but I'm enjoying it a little bit more now since it's isolated, right. and this is the only thing that I'm drinking. And the second glass is right. There you yeah. go. It's spicy. Um, I said earlier that it's almost got a gin quality to it and very peppery. Peppery. But, um, yeah, it's uh, and, it, and it retails for about 49 bucks a bottle to 52 So it's a little uh, a higher end and might not be the, the price you want to pay, but... You know, I'm in for anything that's fifty bucks or under. We've had more expensive whiskeys, but the, but the prerequisite mm-hmm. or whatever the uh, the litmus. What is it? The the thing is that, yeah, if you try the fifty dollar or less now, bourbons. Now watch this segue. Go you ahead. know what's free? Talk to me. An initial consultation with our sponsor. All right. <laughs> yeah. The law firm of Sam Pyatt. Let's uh, hear it for Sam Pyatt. Uh, you like that? Sure. We're sponsored. Sponsored by him. We're mm-hmm. sponsored by the law offices of Sayat and Pyatt with offices in Columbus, Delaware, Cleveland, and Mount Gilead. You can contact them by going to their website, splaws.com, or uh, 888-OVIOhio.com <clears throat> if you've gotten into a little whiskey business of your own. Or you can call them at 614-444-3036. Collectively, 100-plus years of experience and a reputation for results. And yeah, you can contact them for a free consultation today. A group of award-winning mm-hmm. lawyers. I don't I don't know where the big lawyer award ceremony is. Maybe I, it's not in L.A., you know, you the Nokia so? Theater or something. Yeah, maybe it's something like that. It's, it's got to be a place where there's a lot of money involved. Because lawyers, I, yeah. they're loaded. They've got I wonder, money. I what network televises that one. The, uh, the Law Network. The, 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 <laughs> I'm surprised there's not a, there's got to be a gotta Law be, Network. Where all they do is they have shows where they discuss where they discuss cases. Where the, you know, yeah, well, there was Court TV. Court TV, yeah. see, there you go. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, uh, there's a, there's a couple things I want to I want to get to. Number one, uh, yeah, if you're working some 300 and odd days a year, I know you do a lot of it here. There's there's for those of you living in the Columbus, Ohio area, and for those of you who are listening outside of our Columbus, Ohio area, and might come to Columbus, Ohio for whatever the reason might be, you got you got some regular gigs that people should know about. That- yes, Mike, you can go to DavePowers.com www.davepowers.com or keyword Dave Powers. Just look me up on the internet. My whole schedule is on my website. That's the easiest and way to do it. It's the easiest way to do it because I'm somewhere just about every night of the week. If not in Columbus, Ohio, other places. I know I we make uh, frequent trips down to Punta Gorda, Florida. So every now and then you'll see some Florida dates on the website as well. So they're usually public dates, if possible. Come on by. And if you want to listen to it, the the House Jazz Concert Series, you got a bunch of those. We have four volumes of the House Jazz Concert Series. And let me explain a little bit of how this started. People were starting to do house concerts a few years back. We started, uh, Annette and myself started doing them. We work as a team. 
We started doing them around 2008, I believe, in my house. And they, uh, we had between 50 to 80 people that would come to these home concerts. And we had, when we had over 100 people, we decided to move it down the street to the Clintonville Women's Club, where we have it now. We do six concerts a year. There's always a special guest, and sometimes there's a theme. Well, some of the best of the best performances, uh, when we were doing them at the house, they're on four different CDs, volumes one through four. You collect them all like baseball cards. You can you can find them on iTunes. You can download them. You can find them on Amazon, on my website, DavePowers.com. And they're fun. I mean, they sound like they're done in a studio, but they're done in a house I in have, front of a live audience. I don't have three and four. I have volume. I have one and two. Well, you can take three and four home with you, and I think you'll dig it. Volume three features a legendary keyboardist in town, Bobby Floyd. So Bobby and I go at it. He plays my Hammond B3, oh, and I man. play the piano, and it's... Is, is it dueling? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's oh, a wild, okay. fun time. That, that, that. Volume four features a couple special guests. One is a great jazz guitarist from Pittsburgh named Kenny Karsh. Uh, Ken Karsh was just here. We did uh, in the beginning of October. We did a, one of our series. I brought him in Columbus, and uh, Michael Cox, who teaches at Capital University, great tenor sax player. So Volume Four is killer. Your muse. Does it come from one particular spot, or does it come from everything? Wow, I, it comes from everything. Yeah, it has to come from everything. I think you should absorb. Um, does it come from happy things? It comes from happy Does things. Does it come from sad it comes things? From, yeah, it comes from everything. Like I said, you have to take all of your, everything you're exposed to, to influence you. You're influenced mm -hmm. by everything. You know, it's not just the different types of music you're going to listen to. It's not the different kind of things you want to do. You know, you might be inspired by walking in the woods. Walking in the woods is great. And, uh, I, I really enjoy, you know, when we walk in the woods, it's, it's, it's a very, you're listening to things around you. You're tuning everything out. Has you're, that, you're unplugging. When you unplug, things happen. Has walking in the woods inspired you uh, musically? Or, you know, uh, an I, idea come to mind when you're out? I'm pretty crazy. When I wake up in the morning, I have music going on in my head already. Seriously? That's, yes. It, it, music goes through my head constantly all day. You get up in the morning and music's going through your head. What kind of music's going through your head when I'll you wake up? I just have a melody, maybe a melody that an I original heard. melody, just that you heard, or Not something much of familiar. An original melody, but like a song or a different kind of song. So you have an earwig in your brain every twenty-four-seven. <coughs> you know, I do. I do. <laughs> See, now that causes a few musicians to drink heavily. It does. It does. You know, there's a guy I know who's a saxophonist, and. He has music going through his head 24-7. He writes stuff out. He's got all this stuff out. But, uh, you know, it makes him uh, tip a few too yeah. much. Mm -hmm. mm. You know. Well, this is whiskey business. and It's whiskey business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we do. We, what we, key we, are we, you we, in? Whiskey. <laughs> whiskey. And, and one last question, because I'm kind of curious. Um, you obviously love your life because you get to do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Now, musically speaking, is there some unspoken goal? Is there some dream? I mean, what? how do you want to leave your mark on the uh, world of music? I just want to know that I touched a lot of people in some way. Um, you know, granted, I... 
I do a lot of different types of music because I don't want to be channeled just doing one thing. Um, I chose to stay in Columbus, Ohio, instead of moving to a major city. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, it was a smart decision, I feel, because I like to be rooted down and grounded. When I'm, you know, Columbus, Ohio provides... Every time I thought about moving out of Columbus, Ohio, the city just kept getting bigger and expanding and everything. And because we have a strong corporate base, that gives a nice cushion for the quality of life. So you're not worried too much about your next uh, rent payment or mortgage payment. You can concentrate more on your art. And you could be as artistically as creative as you want to be. Now, I liked more and more connecting with people. and We do it well. Well, thank you. And that's I think that's that's a very key, important thing for fulfillment for self-fulfillment for happiness is that connection with people so if i have that connection with people i feel like i'm doing a good job and 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 i'm at a a comfort zone that i'm not too stressed out at that i you know it's good if you can you know entertain people and and reach out to them in some way shape or form like that then i think that i did a good job or that's at least a good accomplishment that I think. Does it ever bother you knowing that there are far less talented people out there that are that that are that are famous and 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 <clears throat> more more known? I am not bothered by it. You know. Did it ever bother you? Uh, did does it bother me that no? Because it's about how the industry of music works, and I learned about how the industry of music works, uh-huh. and. You know, their popularity may be popular for a moment, but that's only for a moment. They could be forgotten the next day. Right. And then what are they going to do? Are they going to pick themselves up from that? Or are they going to maybe rest on their laurels and all their millions they made? Mm -hmm. Or are they going to blow all their millions really quick? You know, are they going to be good stewards? You know, are they going to be like, (laughs) I mean, I hate to say it, Michael Jackson. I said Michael Jackson, but he made a lot of money and he blew a lot of money because he didn't know how to handle his money. Even when he learned about investing and stuff, he did that so he could still blow a lot of money. And his estate, you know, owes money now. I mean, still making money over stuff, but, you know, Sony Music owns a lot of that now. And that's I'm, I'm saying. If you, <laughs> so you don't have any of those problems. I'm looking for longevity. Yeah, I'm not a wealthy man, uh, but I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a poor man. But, but my wealth is, is, is uh, people and relationships and the people that I've met and the people that I know and uh, in some way, shape, or form um, affected their lives. I think that's more important. So, I think it's pretty, yeah. that's and, pretty and huge. That's, yeah, and then these are people that helped supported me through the years. You know, they would come and listen to me play at a restaurant or a bar or hire me to play their wedding. Or hire me to play a corporate event for them. I hired you. See, there you go. I hired you. You did the the. I hired you to do the score for our. Uh, That's right. Our commercial. I did the score for your commercial, and, uh, and you were very reasonable. Thank you, by the way. Sure. Yeah. I only had. And I helped ex- you out on your movie. Yes, you did. The funny man. Yes, you did. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. He did the. He did uh-huh. music on that <laughs> as well. So there you go. I. I. Yeah. I know who to go to. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the. In fact, all the transitional music. In in the in the funny man is all Dave Powers and when we're on the second half of the film, 
You do got a guy for everything, don't you? I do have a guy. Yeah, I've mentioned that in earlier podcasts. I got a guy for just about everything. That's great. <laughs> and when it comes to when it comes to music that I need and want, and I want, and I know it's going to be awesome. You're the guy. But I'm also very uh, uh, privileged to to call you friend as well. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this particular podcast tonight. And it's just, been great. And letting letting you know, because I actually learned a few things about you that I didn't know. And I think that <laughs> no, I think that's an amazing thing when you've known somebody for a lot of years, and then you could still, huh, sit back and go right. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things I did not know about Dave Powers, which now hopefully we, it's all on the positive end of it. No, no, it's yeah. all, it's all pretty awesome, man. I, I, when I think about it, you you know what, you are far richer than a lot of people in a lot of ways. Trust me. All right. Then. All right. I've I'll seen wealthier that. people. Right. But not richer people. So congratulations. Cheers, my friend. Cheers, my friend. Indeed. <laughs> All right. We want to thank once again the law firm of uh, Saya and Pyatt for being our wonderful sponsors. SPLaws.com or 888-OVI-OHIO or 614-444-3036. As we wrap it up once again, let me say uh, the following. Whiskey Business is a Never the Luck production recorded with the cooperation of the Columbus Radio Group. All the opinions are those of me, your host, Dina Tripotis, and my uh, reluctant guests and are never meant to <laughs> offend, only to inform and entertain. So, until the next bottle, see ya. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.